It seems we live in a time when we are constantly talking about challenges to our civil liberties. When and where and what kind of speech is appropriate, what it means to be a responsible gun owner, voting rights, and the broad freedoms one should be afforded as a human being. These are fundamental questions. They aren't just about the country we live in or the laws that govern us, but they're about the very idea of who we are, how we relate to one another, and whether the American experiment is still bubbling in a lab somewhere or is really just about over. Just last week, the Supreme Court took a pretty big bite out of voting rights protections in a case that emerged from an Ohio law aimed at purging people who failed to show up to vote. We're going to talk about that in the second half of today's show, but we want to start with the frustration and confusion that surrounds the images and videos of border agents separating immigrant children from their parents as they cross into America. Meanwhile, just last week, the ACLU of Michigan filed a motion in federal court to stop immigration agents from coercing Iraqi detainees to sign statements that they say they want to be deported. Think of those two images, children in cages because they arrived at the U.S. border with their parents and weren't allowed in. People who live here who are detained and then forced to sign a statement that says they want to be deported. Are these the kind of things that we think about when we think about liberty and freedom? The two things that I think most people identify most strongly with the idea of America. That's where we want to start the conversation this morning. And joining us now is Rick Pluta, the Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network. Rick, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello, Stephen. Yeah, great to hear you. Um, you were in court this week in Detroit watching the latest hearings in this Iraqi detainee case. Tell us what you saw and what's going on here. Sure. Well, and, and first of all, we should point out that, that the government is not um, acknowledging that, um, that this immigration happens. agents are, yeah, that this happens, that uh, immigration officers are uh, actually coercing or intimidating um, people into doing this. And but the ACLU says that there is at least anecdotal evidence that this is happening. Mm-hmm. Thirty-three detainees, at least, have apparently signed documents, statements, um, basically telling the Iraqi government that um, they want to return to Iraq. And Iraq actually requires this. This is not a U.S. government requirement. Iraq actually uh requires this under uh, international um, an international human rights treaty um, before accepting people for repatri- repatriation that uh, they want um, you know solid evidence that that this is being done willingly mm-hmm. so um, what the ACLU says though is that um, ice agents are telling are telling people that if they don't sign this then they will be detained indefinitely, maybe forever, that they could be prosecuted for not doing it. And so the ACLU, one, wants a court order telling the government, don't do that. And two, it wants an opportunity to question these 33 people to find out if there was coercion or intimidation. Yeah. And, you know, we're still waiting on that uh, on that order. Yeah. Uh, this, of course... Uh, has its roots in some policy changes that were affected when Donald Trump became uh, president of the United States. And he started uh, enforcing uh, a little enforced law, 
previously that uh, says that if you committed a crime a long time ago, uh, mm-hmm. even if you are uh, a, a, an immigrant to this country, that you can be deported for, for that crime. Talk about sort of where we are with that sure. issue. Well, there, there is a, and, and this is important, there was also a, a, a critical development that's of the reason these people were not deported in the first place, because that's always been a rule, is um, because Iraq wasn't accepting uh, people being um, repatriated for for that, and now um, I, it's that has changed um, recently. Um, Iraq has accepted uh, people for being repatriated uh, uh, returned. Um, there have been a couple of um, plane flights already to do that, although it's unclear whether or not they're still doing them at this particular moment. Mm-hmm. And um, that matters because. These people are, you know, that they've they've served their time. They've 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 served their sentences. That, you know, they've paid their debt and everything. That they're just basically being dealt with on on this rule that's now being enforced. But the government can't detain these people without a purpose. That there has to be an end game. That either they're going to be um, returned to Iraq, and the ACLU says, but if that's not going to happen then the government can't detain these people indefinitely, that they have to be released so that they can go home to their, uh, to their, to their families. And mm-hmm. that's part of this lawsuit as well. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Rick Pluta. He's the state capitol bureau chief for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We're talking about a motion that the ACLU of Michigan filed in federal court saying that it needs the federal government to stop immigration agents from coercing Iraqi detainees to sign statements that say they want to be deported. The U.S. government says this is not happening. The ACLU says there's strong evidence that it is happening and they need a federal court to intervene. Uh, We are talking about that in the context of liberty and freedom. Think about the headlines that we see that question what our freedoms are, question what liberty ought to look like in this country, uh, the videos and pictures that we have seen in the last week of young children pulled away from their parents as they arrive at the U.S. border and kept in what uh, what sort of look like cages in some of these cases. Uh, think of the, those issues. Think of all the issues that sort of swirl around these videos and pictures that we see. If you want to join the conversation and talk about how our liberties are protected in this country, how they are expressed, not just for people who live here, and uh, but also for people who want to live here. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, in a little bit, we are going to be joined by Carrie Moss, who is the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan, to talk more about this issue. We will also be joined a little later by Garland Gilchrist, a longtime voting rights activist who ran for Detroit City Clerk last year. He is now the founding executive director of the Center for Social Media Responsibility. He's going to join us to talk a little more about voting rights and that Supreme Court ruling last week that affected that. Uh, Rick, before I let you go, uh, what was the conclusion in court uh, in Detroit over this this Um, issue? Is it going to go forward or is this the end of this? um, No, there's no conclusion yet that um, the government, they didn't say that that 
these this coercion was happening. Um, but they didn't say that it wasn't either. They said it just didn't make a lot of sense to them because this is a document that the Iraqi government is uh, is asking for. But they did agree that if it is happening, it shouldn't be. And so Judge Mark Goldsmith basically um, sent the government and the ACLU attorneys off to try and uh, come up with an agreement on a court order that he could sign. And that's what we're waiting on right now. Now, there is a, a time issue because there's going to be another round of detainees being transferred to the Washington area in order to meet with um, Iraqi consulate officials, and presumably a request to sign this document um, would be part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they want this uh, settled before that happens, probably, you know, um, as, as soon as next week. Yeah. Okay. Rick Pluta, Capitol Bureau Chief of the Michigan Public Radio Network. As always, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. It's always a pleasure, Stephen. All right, up next, we're going to talk a little more about civil liberties, how they are expressed, defined, challenged, and protected. Carrie Moss, Executive Director of the ACLU of Michigan, will be here next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about civil liberties, how they're defined and expressed in our country, how they are challenged in many ways in our country, and what we ought to be doing to better protect those liberties. Joining us now to talk about a number of different issues uh, in that regime is Carrie Moss. She is the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan. Carrie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. So we were just talking with Rick Pluta about this uh, Iraqi detainee uh, motion that the ACLU uh, filed. Uh, Give us an idea of what your concerns are here uh, and what you're trying to get the government to agree to do. Well, you may recall last June, uh, ICE raided, arrested, prepared to deport over 114 Michigan uh, Iraqis. Um, We filed a lawsuit to try to prevent them from being deported. They all face the risk of torture, death, persecution if returned to Iraq as religious minorities. We won. The judge extended um, the order to include everybody in the United States who was arrested, all the Iraqis arrested at that same period. Um, And we've managed to prevent their deportation, make sure everybody gets a lawyer, a chance for a bond hearing, a chance to have the removal order challenged. What we're facing right now is that the government is trying to get um, those who are still being held in detention to waive, essentially, you know, to say they want to go back to Iraq mm-hmm. and, and, and to sign something. Because Iraq is saying they d- they won't take people unless they want to return. And, um, w- you know... We believe we have proof that um, that the government is essentially forcing people to sign these these return orders, and so they're trying to get around the fact that they've been losing in court time and time again. Yeah, uh, it seems sort of serendipitous, I suppose, that all of a sudden uh, you need these statements signed, and oh, magically it happened. I mean, but the government says that's not happening; that 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 uh, there is no coercion. Uh, taking place to get people to do this. How do you know that that is going on? We 
have the uh, the personal stories of all of our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, we we hear over and over again, time and time again, what is happening. I mean, frankly, the government just simply cannot be believed. Mm. Uh, and how does this fit in your mind into that bigger picture of? The, the struggles that we see right now with regard to civil liberties. I mean, uh, the, the very idea that they rounded up uh, these folks who had lived here for many, many years, some of them decades, uh, as productive citizens was one outrage. This seems a step further, but it does seem to be sort of in concert with what we see in other arenas. There's a real deep conversation, I think, that's unfolding about what our freedoms are, what our liberties are, and how we're supposed to protect them. I think you're exactly right. You know, in my 20 years as the director of the ACLU of Michigan, my, my more than that, as a civil rights world, I've never seen anything like this. I, uh, for me, for the people I talk to, and I get out all over the place, there's a deep, I think, kind of existential crisis going on where our understanding and and what we thought America was, you know, the pride we took in this being a country, right? Give me your tired, your poor, your hungry, yearning to be free is very much in our DNA. And and now, you know, that is just being tested, it feels like, in every possible way. Mm -hmm. It's not only how we think about truth and freedom, equality and justice, but in many respects, too, our our very concept of reality, when there's talking about fake news and and journalists are being attacked, a free press is being attacked as fake news, when, you know, judges and, and our, you know, court system, our justice system, uh, its integrity is under attack. The system of checks and balances we have, which is what makes our democracy live and breathe and distinguishes it from so many other countries. I mean, all of these things have created, I think, an existential crisis causing us to really think more deeply about these questions and what our responsibility as Americans, what our responsibility is as, as Michiganders. What does it mean to, to live in this state with integrity? Um, and what does it mean to live in this state and, and really walk the walk? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I said in the open of the show that, that all of these issues get to the sort of fundamental question of who we are as Americans and what America is as a concept, not just even as a nation of laws, but as an idea. Um, do you think that idea is under attack. I mean, from the beginning, this has been an idea that is subject to experiment, right? Uh, we have tried things that haven't worked. Uh, we have tried to push the bounds of the idea of liberty and freedom at, at different times. We've come a long way from where we started. Uh, but I always wonder whether we're straining this uh, this idea more now than we were ever before, and whether it's under greater threat. In other words, is the American experiment one of the things that's at stake here? I think our democracy is being tested in some really fundamental ways. Um, our democracy has been tested other times, mm-hmm. and we have always done well. Um, we have come out of it. Um, but we certainly have plenty of blemishes, right? In our history, we have our legacy of slavery, which mm-hmm. we've not even, you know, ever 
really truly begun to grapple with. We've got the era of McCarthyism, the internment of Japanese Americans. Somehow something came along and kind of righted the ship. And and I do believe that our system, the system as it's designed is incredibly um, uh, flexible, malleable, and durable. That being said, um, right now, I think there is no one fix here. Mm-hmm. Our Congress is paralyzed. It's so highly partisan that I am not very optimistic that at least at this moment that we can expect much. Um, I think that between gerrymandering and voter suppression uh, and term limits, um, our state legislature is is uh, hobbled in in many respects. And and I you know our courts have really been in many ways a savior, but mm-hmm. they are also I think you know the appointments of the Trump administration to the bench have me really worried. I think what that means is that this is kind of uniquely a moment where individual voices. Um, uh, really, really matter, you know, where protests matter, mm-hmm. um, where uh, uh, reaching out to members of Congress in vast numbers and showing up at town halls really matters. And 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 that's been true for our history, right? That, that power has kind of shifted between the different branches of government and, and to the people and back. And this is really a moment for the people. Mm-hmm. Again, 313 577 1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Tell us what you think of the ongoing conversation, I guess, that we're having in this country about liberty, liberty, what it looks like, what it should look like, and how we ought to protect it. Think of the headlines that we see about children being ripped away from their parents when they reach the American border and then kept in what probably could be fairly called camps. Uh, away from the people who gave them life. Uh, is that is that your notion of American liberty? Is that the thing that ought to reflect off of this country around the world? Or do you think that these are threats to the idea of American liberty? Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Patty in Detroit. Patty, welcome to Detroit today. Patty, I think you got to turn your radio down there. Hello? Yep. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm upset about what I see on the news, too, about the children being taken away from their parents. I don't think that's right. I had a couple of questions. One, why our government isn't <clears throat> talking to the governments of um, Guatemala or Honduras, where they're coming from? Why are they leaving there? Why isn't something done about that? as opposed to all these people coming into the country, mm-hmm. pretty much trying to come in illegally. And the other question I have is, I just heard on the news, that these um, all these people are going to be detained or arrested in private prisons, which have changed their status to real estate investments, so then they have to pay federal income taxes. Hmm. Uh, uh, Patty, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get at what, what exactly you're, you're asking. Uh, you're asking about the, the countries that these uh, these immigrants come from and why we're not doing more, I guess, to to make their lives better there? Is that what you're trying to... Honduras or Guatemala and mm-hmm. saying, what are you doing to these people? Mm-hmm. Same thing with, you know, you think back in 1939 with Germany. The United States didn't do anything about Hitler. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and all these Jewish people came over on the boats, they got turned away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, why is our government not saying to these other governments, what are you doing to these people that they want to leave your country and come here? Yeah. Uh, Patty, it's a great question. Uh, I appreciate uh, the call uh, and your participation here. Uh, Carrie Moss, the, I, I, I am a little hesitant to, to, to sort of go down this road because I think it's something of a distraction from, you know, this idea of who we are and what we do, uh, what other countries do to drive people to this nation. I mean, that's something that's happened since the beginning. I mean, there are always countries that are committing human rights abuses, right? Or, you know, where there's um, uh, anarchy of sorts that drives people, right, to come, want to come to this country seeking asylum. Let, let me first say this country should not have turned away the Jews trying to escape Hitler's, mm-hmm. you know, Nazi Germany, right? I mean, that was a big mistake that mm-hmm. we made. This country has always really stood as a beacon of light for those uh, seeking safety. And the people coming to the border right now whose children are being ripped away are not coming here illegally. They are presenting themselves for asylum. Mm-hmm. This is a longstanding tradition. We have rules that govern that process. Um, they are, they're not doing anything surreptitiously. They're openly presenting themselves. So this idea that everybody who comes to the border is illegal is just simply not correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Patty, thanks very much for the call and the questions. Let's go to Chuck in Franklin. Chuck, welcome to Detroit today. Hello, Stephen. I uh, heard just a moment ago Kerry Moss talking about uh, hyperpartisanship um, in politics and in the state and federal legislatures. Um, I am more and more getting the impression that, um, you know, we've always had a right wing in the country and a left wing. And then we had the ACL in the middle as a kind of a non-ideological supporter of civil rights on both sides, and the right wing has civil rights issues and the left wing has civil rights issues. Mm -hmm. But now I get the impression that with more and more funding for the ACLU coming from left wing partisans, the the ACLU itself is going to do more to support uh, left wing partisans. And part and parcel of that is the the news uh, earlier this month, I think, that ACLU $25 million of its money on campaigning in the fall elections, um, which caused uh, Chuck, I think we're losing you. Or Alan Dershowitz mm-hmm. to say, hey, I'm out. This is no longer my ACLU. Yeah. Uh, Chuck, I, I appreciate the, the call and, and the questions. Carrie, I'll give you a chance to address that. Yeah, well, I strongly disagree with how Alan Dershowitz is characterizing this, mm-hmm. and money has never dr- driven the ACLU's priorities. The ACLU is nonpartisan. We do not endorse candidates. We never have. We never will. What we are doing differently is to um, help educate the public about where their elected officials stand on the issues that we care about, the issues that you know fundamentally um, right derive from the United States Constitution and our civil rights laws. We believe in holding elected officials accountable and making sure that people are informed so that when they go to the ballot box, um, they they know who they're voting for. We've always done that. I just think we've ramped it up. Um, We've ramped it up in some big ways. Um, And uh, the work that we're doing, I mean, as the money is coming in, it's going back out. I can tell you that it it is an all hands on deck moment. We have a border office here at the ACLU of Michigan. I've hired up 40%. We 
are you know investing in a ballot initiative here in Michigan called Promote the Vote to um, help it make sure that voting is accessible to all people. Mm-hmm. It's the systems are, of our democracy that we are investing in. Um, that's the way it's been. That's the way it will always be. Okay, we need to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about our civil liberties. We're going to shift a little bit to talking about voting rights. We're going to keep Carrie Moss, executive director of the ACLU of Michigan here. And we're going to be joined by Garland Gilchrist, who is a voting rights activist, ran for Detroit City Clerk, and is the founding executive director of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the University of Michigan. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Kristen Southfield, Fred in St. Clair Shores, Ken at Wayne State. We will get to you. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. Last week, the Supreme Court ruled that an Ohio law that would expedite the purging of registered voters from the rolls doesn't violate the federal law that's ironically titled the Help America Vote Act. How is that for turning questions about civil liberties on their heads? It's just one in a series of rulings that seem to suggest that the right to vote, one of the most powerful individual liberties Americans possess, is just not quite as important as many of us would think it is. I want to welcome Garland Gilchrist, a longtime voting rights activist and now the founding executive director of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the University of Michigan to the program. Garland, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you for having me. It's great to be back. And still with us in studio is Carrie Moss, who is the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan. Uh, Garland, let's start by talking about what the Supreme Court uh, ruled in this case last week and what effect it will have, not just in Ohio, but around the country. Sure. So Ohio has one of the most aggressive voter purging regimes in the country, and it's really based on this uh, basic and problematic principle that if you don't use your right to vote for whatever reason, you are subject to lose it. But that's not how rights work. But unfortunately, if a person missed voting in a an election, a federal election for whatever reason, a presidential election, let's say, and then they were sent uh, mailing from the Department of Elections um, and they did not return that postage address to mailing, they could then be subject to being kicked off of the voter rolls. And mm-hmm. one of the things that's a really a real risk here is that if a person didn't realize when, that they were kicked off the rolls and they went to vote in a future election, um, they may find out that they were not registered. And if they found that out within 30 days of the election, they wouldn't be able to vote in that election. Yeah. That's essentially what happened to the, to the Navy veteran, the man who was the plaintiff in this case. And it really just shows how aggressive uh, those people who want to take away people's voting rights are willing to be. Now, I would imagine a lot of people would look at what they're doing in Ohio and say, this is an effort to make it harder for people to vote. But what is the thing that uh, Ohio officials would say they're trying to achieve by purging the rolls this way? What's the, what's the sort of uh, argument that they're making? They're trying to say this is about voter list maintenance, but there are ways to maintain your voter files and to be, to be um, making sure that they're clean and accurate that don't 
set people up to be kicked off of the voting rolls. There are all sorts of things election officials could do to aggressively meet people where they are, to go into person, to make sure people are registered or verify their registration status. But it's very difficult when you have people, for example, who move a lot Mm -hmm. to send Mm -hmm. them mail and then expect them to always return it. There's also a reality that many people don't pay close attention to elections until right before elections happen. And with the problematic laws that exist in places like Michigan and Ohio, where you can only register up to 30 days before the election, Mm -hmm. many people won't find out about their registration status until it's too late. So there's a responsibility of election officials to make sure that they are doing everything they can to enable people to exercise their right to vote and not be trying to kick them off of the rolls. Uh, This is one in a series of rulings that we've seen from the Supreme Court that suggest uh, they are not as enthusiastic, I guess, about protecting voting rights as, as some people might be. Talk about some of the other things that we've seen in this, in this uh, progression from, from the court. Absolutely. This voter purge is, is, is one. I mean, we've seen things um, like there was a ruling related to a narrow ruling related to a gerrymandering uh, law in the state of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which is particularly uh, relevant, I think, for, for us who live in Michigan, because we, we, you know, we will have um, voting rights be on the ballot in the form of the Promote the Vote ballot initiative, which I'm excited that Carrie and the ACLU are leading the charge on, as mm-hmm. well as the Voters Not Politician um, ballot initiative that will set up an independent redistricting commission, mm-hmm. the type of thing that um, we believe would have uh, less of a partisan impact than the partisan gerrymandering that's happening in states around the country, and it's been happening in Michigan for far too long. Well, the Supreme Court basically said that the Wisconsin law or the Wisconsin process for gerrymandering could stand. That's very dangerous because gerrymandering ends up disenfranchising voters, and that particularly happens in big cities where you have lots of voters of color, black voters in particular. We've seen that around the country as a tactic to to basically lessen the power of progressive voters, and we need to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Garland Gilchrist, a longtime voting rights activist and now founding executive director of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the University of Michigan. Also with us is Carrie Moss, executive director of the ACLU of Michigan. Right now we're talking about voting rights and uh, a Supreme Court ruling last week that uh, gave the rubber stamp really to an Ohio Ohio law that seeks to purge voters from the rolls when they don't exercise their right to vote. We're also talking about that in the context of civil liberties. Think of the things that we see in the headlines each day in this country that seem to suggest that we are in the middle of a pretty serious rethinking of the idea of freedom and liberty in the United States. In particular, think of the images and the videos that we are seeing of small children who were taken from their parents at when they arrived at the U.S. border. They're being kept in camps in uh, places all around the country. Is that in, is, does that square with our notion of liberty in this country? Does that square with the notion of who we are as Americans? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Kenneth at Wayne State. Kenneth, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, great conversation, guys. I like Thanks. to interject with something that I think about liberty often. Um, I think that the biggest forms of liberty is the liberty from starvation, the liberty from poverty, the liberty from economic insecurity. 
I think that, that, that in this nation, we often overlook that one of the biggest hampers to liberty and freedom today is our economic system. Is that it's, it's, we don't have the freedom, uh, if you don't have the money, you don't have access to education, to transportation, to homes, to food, to everything else that a lot of people do have access to. Hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest hampers to our liberties in this nation. And the people coming here from Mexico, from here from Central America, from South America, are usually not only escaping violence, but also escaping poverty. Poverty, and I like sure. To add, yeah, I'd like to add one last thing. I had a taxi driver a couple nights ago uh, driving around, and he was from Venezuela, and he was talking to me. And he was like, Kenneth, in America, you are as free as the amount of money you have in your wallet. And I don't think that, as a working-class student, I don't think I'd ever agree with something ever in my entire life before. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. Kenneth, uh, I really appreciate the call. Uh, and the comments. Uh, Carrie, go ahead. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, our Constitution does not guarantee a right to housing. Mm -hmm. It does not guarantee a right to an education. It does not guarantee the right to be free from hunger. Um, we do have other rights, right? That right to equal protection of the law, to due process of the law, to the freedom of speech and freedom of association. But I think that the choices, right, about the rights we have and the rights we don't is where so much of the tension lies around how do we create a society that, uh, you know, truly allows every person to develop their full potential. And right therein kind of lies some of the challenges we face when we look at health care and housing and transportation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Carrie, I also want to get uh, your take on the voting rights question that is raised by the Supreme Court last mm -hmm. week. It was raised again in a very small way this week with the gerrymandering ruling, which really didn't decide very much, mm -hmm. uh, but sent it all back to lower courts to, to, to rethink or relitigate. Uh, I think Democrats in Wisconsin have an opportunity now to make the case that uh, the the system of draw of line drawing there is is discriminatory against them because they are Democrats. But but where are we with voting rights, uh, with not just the Supreme Court but with legislatures and the federal government? Well, I should also just make sure you know to mention there is a gerrymandering case going on right now here in Michigan, in Michigan being litigated sure. by Mark Brewer. Um, I mean, Michiganders are going to have two opportunities come November to address democracy. The first one is this ballot initiative, Promote the Vote, mm -hmm. which will guarantee very you know, common sense reforms like no excuse absentee voting and, and automatic voter registration and same day registration. Um, we've got over well over 450,000 signatures um, and we'll be turning those in soon. There's also the uh, uh, Voters Not Politicians Anti-Gerrymandering initiative. Both of these are crucial, right? If um, if Promote the Vote passes, um, it will hopefully substantially increase turnout in subsequent elections and just make sure that every voice is heard. Mm -hmm. If the gerrymandering initiative um, passes, uh, it will affect, it will ensure an independent redistricting commission is put in place after the next census. So both, so both are very important. Yeah. Um, and and the vote and the promote the vote is really the antidote to the Supreme Court decision this week, right? Um, uh, dealing with Ohio, because in that case, right, people were showing up to the polls only to find out, in fact, that they had been purged. In Michigan, if we have no excuse absentee, we have same day registration. If if we confront a similar kind of problem, that would be the antidote to you it. You wouldn't be able to deny someone uh, the chance to vote just because they 
hadn't voted before. Correct. And our initiative also requires an annual audit to ensure election security. Uh, Garland, uh, I'm curious in the work that you uh, used to do with uh, voter protections, uh, voter registrations, how much harder these kinds of rulings from the Supreme Court make that work uh, and whether we've seen them sort of making it harder more frequently uh, in recent years. Sure. Well, one of the things that it does is for the people who have been exposed to the to any news related to the attacks on voting rights, it makes the advocates' work much more important and much more difficult because now you have to convince people that their right to vote is actually valued by their government. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, it's made community organizing that much more important. It's also made organizers need to better understand policy. And that's why the groups like the ACLU and others are so vital in this movement to making sure that the people on the ground who are speaking with people day to day, door to door, know what the policy provisions are and what's legal and what's not and what's accepted and what's not. So they can give people strategies for how to deal with these these very just ominous and cavernous and dangerous laws. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that's hard is even just the spec- speculation um, and the sensationalized uh, storytelling around uh, alleged uh, voter impersonation and other things that you may see online and mm-hmm. on social media, um, it also makes it difficult because people um, believe they may be subject to attacks on their own rights. So I, I just think that really convincing people that voting is not a use it or lose it proposition right. is a place where we need to start. And then also making sure that people realize that their eligibility for like in a place like Michigan, for example, where, you know, if, if you're not in jail, if you're not in prison on election day, that you have the right to be able to vote. Yeah. And people uh, just not understanding that because they've heard about other states where that's not possible. So it has made it difficult when you have this national news and these other states having laws that are sort of even worse than what we have in Michigan. It's made it more difficult to, to tell the story, but that's why we have to be more vigilant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Eric in Detroit. Eric, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning to everyone else as well. Uh-huh. Um, when you start talking about uh, liberty, uh, freedom, and, you start, and, and, and the right to vote, one of the issues that we really have is that it's difficult to vote correctly when we've really sort of completely bought into the to the notion that, for example, a large percentage of our population should be locked up. Mm-hmm. Right now, for example, um, we're building a new jail, but 62% of the people held in Wayne County jails are there. Um, awaiting trials, uh, right? Awaiting trial, right? I mean, they haven't been convicted of anything. And most of them are there not because they're dangerous to the community, not because they're a flight risk, but because literally they didn't have the money. Now, in full disclosure, I work for an organization called the Detroit Justice Center. Uh-huh. Uh, we we helped get someone out of jail who'd been in jail for eight days because they didn't have $500. They weren't a flight risk. The judge didn't, say, didn't wow. think they were. It wasn't a matter of them being a danger to the community. Can you imagine just being taken away from your life for eight days because you didn't have 500 bucks. And I mean, it's horrible what is happening on our borders, but we are doing this in Wayne County day after day after day after day. And we, we and we're acting like it's, it's, it's normal. We're yeah. building a jail for 2,200 people where if you got rid of the folks who, you know, pre-trial detention, we already have more than enough room in just mm-hmm. one of the three jails that we have. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the problem. We think it's normal, and uh, it's not. Erica, it's a great, uh, it's a great comment. I'm glad uh, you called 
to share it with us. I mean, uh, Carrie, uh, I'll use that uh, because we're going to run out of time. I'll use that to segue a little into your personal future. You are leaving us as executive director of ACLU of Michigan, but you're going uh, to continue with the ACLU to work, I assume, on all kinds of different liberty issues, including some of the stuff that Eric was talking about right there. Yes, I am. So, so Eric, yes, obviously we agree. Eliminating the cash bail system, right, is so important. It's the modern-day debtors' prisons where people are in jail, losing their jobs mm-hmm. and other things because they don't have money where people with money, right, don't have that, that don't face they can get those out. same obstacles. They can get out. Yeah. So, so yes, and, and that is a priority of the ACLU of Michigan. But, Stephen, yes, I announced last week after 20 years that I will be – Leaving and it was bittersweet decision wrenching decision. Um, I'm staying in the ACLU family though. I'll be joining the senior leadership team at the national level, and my job will be to be the the kind of chief champion of the states. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, I'll be transitioning in the fall, uh, and uh, yeah, it's been um, yeah. very very bittersweet. Well, there's just a lot of work to be done, and. Uh, the the climate, I guess, uh, the current climate, I think, has sort of set the ACLU up to be uh, as strong as it can be, I guess, to to be able to fight for the things. You know, we have a really unique structure. In addition to our national office in New York and a Washington office in D.C., you know, we've got 53 state offices, three Mm -hmm. in California. Mm -hmm. What that has meant, you know, and that's been true for 100 years, um, is that we have this on-the-ground presence that has made it possible for this organization to be very nimble and to be, you know, really in the trenches on the most important issues of the day. And so it's incredible. It has made it possible for us to respond very quickly and very capably, I think, to a lot of the issues that have been coming up, particularly this last year and a half. And and it'll be my job is to ma- help build the capacity, power, and impact of all the states and, and you know, uh, ensure that we're all kind of moving in the same direction on state and federal priorities while respecting the individual needs and problems, right, that, that we know exist, right, in, in local places. Yeah. Well, we wish you luck. Thank you. We're sorry to leave you, but uh, you're going off to do important work, so I Thank guess that's you. okay. Carrie Moss, Executive Director of the ACLU of Michigan, thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Uh, Also, Garland Gilchrist, founding executive director of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the University of Michigan. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. All right. That's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And the associate producer is Gus Navarro. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobie. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.